Welcome to season two of Open Deeply, devoted to exploring the relationships society pushes into the shadows. Kinky love, non-monogamous love, neurodiverse love, and more. Jack Cornfield says to open deeply requires tremendous courage, a warrior spirit, and unconventional love takes just that. So, join us. Together, we have the courage to open deeply. Here are your hosts, Sunny Megatron and Kate Lurie. Welcome to Open Deeply. I'm Kate Lurie and my co-host is Sunny Megatron. Today, our guest is my bestie that I love so dearly, the multi-talented Hudsey Brook. As you know, this season is all about types of love that are less talked about in our society, such as non-monogamous love, or in today's episode, kinky love. In this episode, Hudsey will tell us her life journey through kink through the lens of love. We usually hear kink discussed through the lens of eroticism, but in this season, as said, it's all about love. But first, let me tell you a bit about Hudsey. Hudsey Brooks' many careers have ranged from professional singer, kink lifestyle coach, to yoga instructor. Her journey from vanilla to kink and from singing at Disneyland to spanking in the dungeon eventually inspired a kink musical and later her V2K, that's vanilla to kink, coaching practice. Her vast knowledge has been featured in Men's Health Magazine, Playboy, Cosmopolitan, E! Entertainment, Storage Wars, and BuzzFeed. Her training and personal experience in the BDSM lifestyle has helped her to shape the therapeutic direction of her classes and coaching sessions. When she's not out working with clients, you might find her teaching yoga or singing at a supper club. Hudsey Brooke is currently working on her exciting upcoming memoir, Sing Spank Scrub. But before we get started, I need to remind you that Open Deeply Podcast is not therapy or replacement for therapy, so if you catch yourself becoming emotionally overwhelmed by this episode's content, please get support. Call a friend, a therapist, or an emotional support hotline such as 800-273-TALK-8255. All righty. So I'm really excited to have you on because I love you so much and I want to share the world with you or share you with the world. (laughs) Both. Hey, share, you know, share my like world with your experience. world. Do it all. Yeah. All the things. Yeah. <laughs> and it's also exciting. This is the first time that we've had video along with our podcast. So I this is like I'm helping too. pop a cherry. This is awesome. Right? I know. <laughs> We're all true. like, it's an experience for all of us. Yes. <laughs> so let's see. You have such a full and vibrant life. You've had so many ups and downs. And so I thought I'd just start by asking you if you could tell us your kink origin story. Okay. So the kink origin story came out of, like for many people, a trauma. I was going through a painful divorce with someone I thought I'd be with forever. And instead of mourning that loss, I went online like most people do. And this was when Craigslist was quite popular. And I went on casual encounters. A friend told me about casual encounters. And there was an ad that said, drinks tonight. And it was in all caps. And it was written badly. But the picture was hot. (laughs) So I went to a stranger's house in the middle of the night, like a crazy person, and realized that I was meeting a dom. And I'd never met a dom. I didn't really know what that was. I think my only experience of 
kink and BDSM at that point was what was it? The Bachelor movie with Tom Hanks, where it was like, and then they had two dominatrixes come in. That was my extent of knowledge of anyone that had a flogger. So, yeah. <laughs> so all of a sudden, I realized that I was in the middle of a scene. I didn't know what that was. I just knew that suddenly the toys had come out, and he had poured my glass of red wine into a dog bowl. Three hours later, I remember driving back over Coldwater Canyon in just like a high, uh, what I later found out was like a sub frenzy, but I didn't know that at the time. And everything he did was not by the books. You know, everything that that we learn in all of our professions around safety, sanity, consent, none of that was there. But I mean, I wouldn't be talking to, I wouldn't have met either one of you if I hadn't met him. So I actually, what year? This was 2005. Was about? This was summer 2005, maybe fall. But I'm extremely grateful the experience was life-changing. It completely opened my eyes to so many things about the world. Even though he was what I called a, a dom that was under the radar, he wasn't out in the community. He didn't know anybody. This was just his way to get girls. You know, in retrospect, he was more of probably a sex addict who dabbled, used kink as like the the thing that made him interesting. You know, he had a flogger, he had a blindfold. <laughs> you know? What do you think in that moment where he put your wine in the dog bowl, what do you think allowed you to just find that hot? Because this is a complete stranger mm-hmm. rather than scared. Like what was it about his vibe that let you, or there must've been something that let you know. Well, you know, I, I was coming, was... I was coming, sorry to interrupt you. I was coming from trauma of being lonely. And then this person was making me feel completely seen. Like, all of a sudden I was completely focused on and he totally knew I was submissive and, and I didn't, you know? So it was, he was pulling this thing out of me that was just waiting to be noticed and developed. And when he poured the wine in the dog bowl, I remember just thinking this overwhelmed emotional feeling of someone that's going to take over someone that was going to be responsible for me in that moment. And it felt amazing. He was just, yeah, I was, just it was all about me. me. <laughs> the way I like it. <laughs> yeah, it sounds amazing. And and it reminds me of puppy play. I mean, I remember mm-hmm. a time when I didn't really understand puppy play until I met my first puppy. And he had long Iggy Pop eyelashes and he had his little leather ears on and his little tail, little butt plug. And he was just like so friendly and sweet. And I was immediately in love with leather and puppies. You noticed you know? him and that just made it that much more amazing for him. Like, oh, she's seeing my puppy self. And she's like, she's not only seeing it, but she's going along with it. And and when you have that role play, whether it's the dog bowl and the wine or going full on with the gear, it's so beautiful to, to take that role on, to escape yourself and bring out a different part of you. But the fact that the other partner or the witness is allowing it and encouraging it, it's a beautiful feeling. I just got chills saying that because that's what it's about. You can be a puppy by yourself, but It's not really enjoyable if someone's not there to validate it and encourage it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what he did with that bull. Yeah. I think you bring up a great point for people who maybe aren't familiar with kink because the assumption is if you're a submissive, that you're autonomy and your yourself is erased and you're just there to serve another and really like you know you're saying within submission that's how you felt seen and mm. whole and alive which Completely. is I mean he he was maybe he he didn't have all of the he didn't have any training but he did have some experiences before me and that did come through he knew enough to get me hooked <laughs> you know and to bring he saw something in me I didn't know was there 
And I'm really grateful for that experience. I ended up spending a couple months with him. And then I realized I liked what we were doing, but I didn't care for the way he was treating me. And the priority he was making me was very low. So I started getting out into the community and out into the scene and looking for a partner that was better for me, that was better Mm -hmm. suited, that was a match, you know? Right. Yeah. So let's go there. Let's talk about when you got to the point in your journey of meshing kink with love. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. So right away, just like when I got out of the marriage, right away, Dom, oh, got to find another Dom. So I created an ad. And of course, I just got a bunch of dick responses, like literal penises, not dicks. And then I just gave up for a while. And I went to a club. It was just all male subs thinking I was a Dom because of the way I look in the world. They're like, oh, mistress. I'm like, no, oh, I'm looking for a Dom. What are you? You know, and I left. And then I came across an ad on Craigslist for a guy who was looking for a friend with benefits. And we hit it off on the phone. And what ended up happening was I topped from the bottom and turned him into my next dom. And Uh, he was so willing to learn everything I knew to this point. And he was a natural. He needed someone like me and I needed someone like him. And for seven months, I was with my soulmate. And it was the most amazing. It's still to this day, probably the most, well, it is the most meaningful BDSM relationship I've ever had. And I've had a lot. Mm-hmm. But there was something yeah. about, you know, when you meet someone who is your your exact match, and then you add in the thing you're both interested in, which happened to be the role play of kink and BDSM, it was just a match made in heaven. But I taught him what I knew, and then he did his own due diligence when I wasn't around. It wasn't even about the toys, which we rarely used. It was that I think at that time in his life, he needed someone to control And I needed someone to take over. And it was more about emotional play. And we didn't know that we were doing kind of a daddy dom little girl thing, but we were the same age. There was that aspect to it where it was natural for him to want to look after someone else and make them feel taken care of. And for me, I just wanted to serve him and pass all his crazy tests that he would give me (laughs) very much like secretary, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, it was cool. amazing. It was just when two people accidentally fit in a way that they're completing the puzzle. It was really beautiful. And we just kind of learned together. We learned as we went, you know? Yeah. I wish that we could have come across each other when we'd had more experiences apart. Cause imagine what we would be today, <laughs> you know, knowing what we know now, Yeah. but everybody that comes into your life, especially in kink and BDSM, I mean, it, it happens for a specific reason And I'm actually really, really honored to say he's a friend again today. So it's, it's kind of cool to look back on who we were at 35, you know, and now in our early fifties, just going, wow, that was, that was a long time ago. And we wouldn't change a thing about that, you know, but it was a completely Mm -hmm. emotional daddy, daughter, little girl. And I didn't know we were doing that at the time. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. And and already you're kind of showing us the trajectory of your life, which makes me think of your kink musical, which I've been <laughs> lucky to watch and also be in, you were a, you in know, it. a couple of times. Yeah, it was super fun. You know, and in your kink musical, you kind of tell your journey through kink and love. And I was just wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, so when I first did it, there, Kate was in it, at, she played my therapist. 
it ended with her, you know, me going to her going, what's wrong with me? You know, why do I like this? And she did like a monologue and she did a great job. And then we did another version of the show years later when my father died. And the show kind of became something else because in the time between the first draft of the show in 2015 and the second draft in 2018, I realized that what I thought was my genesis for being into BDSM, being into kink, and having those kinds of relationships was actually about my father and I not being close. I loved him, but when he passed away in 2016, it opened my eyes to a lot of choices I've made in relationships. And it opened my eyes to why the gentleman I just told you about that was like the great BDSM love of my life was so impactful. He was filling an empty space that I needed filled from not having it growing up with my father. But then the kicker to that, which I've only discovered like in the last few years is that my mother has always been the one that was the controller and the one who was in charge. And so he was a blend of my two parents. He was a lot like my mom's control at the same time being the absent father, you know? So those shows, those two versions of of my show taught me that. And it was really amazing. That's cool. Yeah. So, but I think if anything, the the shows have um, the, the two different versions, what they have in common is that they show all the different relationships I've had, whether it was a male submissive who taught me how to be dominant or the different doms I've encountered. And it, it just kind of shows the reasons and how each person and each role that they take with you is a benefit to you and to being better mm-hmm. for the next partner and the next partner, <laughs> you know, and it touch, yeah. it also touches on poly which is a thing I've, I've never been all that into, but I understand it, you know, and it gave me that word we, we've used, compersion, for partners I've had, uh, past, present, you know, where I can understand where that comes from and that no one person can be everything to one person, you know, so the show touched on that as well. So there's, there's something for everybody, basically. In the yeah, show. that show is so amazing. And I hope that eventually it's made into something where everybody can see it because it is just a really unique and, and funny, like your YMCA BDSM song. Yeah. Like, I mean, so Sunny, much, we, you didn't so see it, but we had people in no. the audience that were plants. And at one point we did YMCA as BDSM and they all just came out of the seats and up onto the stage and all the vanilla normal people were like, what? I didn't know that was sitting next to me, you know? <laughs> so it was very fun, <laughs> oh my you know, and, and, it, and it, it allowed the vanillans in the audience to understand it a little more and get a kick out of it, you know? Right. Right. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. You know, we've talked a lot about the role that your dominant had and, and what they fulfilled and the, the fact that you have domed people. And we know when, you know, BDSM is done right, it can be really fulfilling and wonderful, but we're humans, right? So describe to me what you think it takes for a dom who not only loves their sub, but loves their sub well. What does that look like? Or what does that look like in in you or your life? So I was going to say this earlier, you know, I feel like you and I can relate, Sunny, because we've both been service tops, right? Where we go both sides of the fence, but we know how to be a good dom. And and Mm -hmm. only from having good doms, you know, the good and the bad. So for me, what I've learned as a service top or when I'm being someone's dom is subs really need ritual and they need repetitive patterns of behavior from us. So if we do something for them and we don't follow through, it's extremely disappointing and it ruins the entire dynamic. 
So if the top Mm. or the dom can't have a system that they follow, that they designed for that person, it's not like a blueprint that applies to everybody. But that's why I have a hard time with tops or doms having multiple people. It's very hard to really give completely to the submissive if you've got so many. You know, I'm not saying it's not been done, but for me, it's like, okay, what's your deal again? Um, What are you into? I want to make sure I take care of them emotionally. So I feel like the rituals, the protocols, the tools that we have agreed on when we've done our consent and negotiation, those are important to keep in place. I can't do that as the top is the dom, and I don't have a right to take on that submissive. I have to know what makes them tick and what they want out of this. In turn, what are they doing to refuel my tank? Because if it's all take, 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 and I'm not getting anything back, it, it, the dom is the sub as well. We we need to be taken care of. We need to be seen. They need to know what we need. So I definitely think that both parties have to come to the middle of the road when they're negotiating and discuss what they both need before they start that role play and that dynamic where they're both on and there's no wiggle room. You know, mm-hmm. and I'll always, be, I'll always be a subby dom. I'm not going to be dominant. I'm going to be more mothering, more of a service top. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I hear this through line of allowing the other person to feel seen. Mm-hmm. And that if you're too distracted by too many things in your life, whether it's many lovers or many, you know, job constraints or whatever, to the extent that you can't really attune with your sub, then you're at risk of damaging the intimacy. It sounds like what mm-hmm. is what you're saying. It's, it's, I mean, it's hard enough being with yourself, you know, let alone trying to take care of someone else. I had a male dom friend who had a, a sub partner and he was in charge of when she went to the bathroom <laughs> and, you know, yeah. don't miss a text, <laughs> you know, and when they right. broke up, she yeah. kept asking, he's like, no, that's over. And it was traumatizing for her because she liked being able to ask him when she could go to the restroom and she was kind of hoping they could just keep that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I mean, it gets yeah. really, it gets really deep. So be careful yeah. what you create and what you ask for, what you wish for, what you agree to follow through on every day. It, it needs to, for me, it needs to be an active role play. It can't be 24 seven because if you're 24 seven, 24 severing with somebody is sever, you know, a <laughs> uh, Freudian slip, you know, it, to both parties. What if the sub disappears and decides they found someone they like better, but you really love that taking care of them and now they're gone. And now you're going to throw that onto your next partner. Okay. I need, I want to be in control of your potty. And you know, I want to be in control of it's, it has to be for me. And I'm only speaking for me. It has to be an on off switch. There has to be a time where we agree to do this. And then we have to be normal people. We have to be responsible for ourselves. It's just emotionally, diff- it's, it's hazardous. It's not to be taken lightly. With that, I mean, I think, you know, as you know, in my private practice, I have folks that are kinky, I have folks that are non-monogamous, and I have folks that are both. Mm-hmm. Either one can be challenging, you know, but when you cross them over, then there's even more challenges. Mm-hmm. You really do have to have that evolved emotional intelligence. And I'm wondering what you would have to say about that, Sunny, because you are like, I'm kink and non-monogamous, but you're super kink and non-monogamous. And I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts on what we're talking about right now. You know, in general, it takes a lot of emotional self-awareness, just emotional literacy in general 
to do, and I hate to say to do kink right, but to get the most out of it, to do it with intention, it takes a lot of mental work, a lot of work. You know, just like they say, marriages take work, this takes work. Kink takes a lot of work, even if it's a casual, you know, or not casual, but if it's a dominant submissive relationship with somebody other than your primary partner, you know, that's still a deep commitment that really needs to be taken seriously. So yeah, it's, it's work, but it's good work. Yeah. It, yeah. It gives and I think back tenfold in return. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think it's so much easier to have an erotic scene in kink than to really be loving your partner well within kink, you know, yes. because it, it, as soon as you're loving your partner well, or partners well within kink, all the stuff that we're talking about right now comes into play. Yeah. And that's not what we see. And that's not what people think kink is. And that's not what we see in the mainstream. We do see the erotic. When folks who are my students learn, you know, they start getting into kink and they're like, oh, this is what it's really about. So, <laughs> Mind blowing and intimidating because they're like, crap, it's a lot of work. It's homeworky. It's not, it's not all like exactly. bells and whistles. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about how a dom can love their sub well and vice versa, how a sub can love their dom well. But how can a kinky person love and respect themselves and make sure that they are taking care of themselves well? Well, you know, when that that kind of sub frenzy happens for newbies and they're just obsessed. It's so important to remember that at the end of the day, you're responsible for you. And this person is not going to fly in like Superman and rescue you and save you from everything. You have to take, I think therapy is very important, especially if you're going to embark into any kind of kink journey, any BDSM journey, you really should have a sounding board that's neutral like friends and family will tend to be judgmental unless they're into it. So it's better to have that sounding board, that really good friend or a neutral party, like a therapist or a coach who helps you with it to keep you grounded. And again, I can't stress this enough that you are you at the end of the day, you're by yourself and you have to be in this with yourself. And that means I have this little formula that I tell newbies that I think is very valuable. REM reading events and mentors. You need to have those things, not just your kink partner, whether they've introduced you or you've brought them in. You need to have reading events and mentors, the books, podcasts, like your amazing podcast, going to parties, meeting other people, seeing that there's other people like yourself. And you can find a mentor at those gatherings or online or in the books. You know, I do coaching, Sunny does coaching. Those things are important to the newbies or people that just don't know how to be alone with it those are those three things that you can take that is like having that partner, but it's, it's that thing you're doing for yourself to keep yourself educated. I mean, when I had that first Tom, he did 20,000 things wrong and I had no idea he was putting my safety, my health at risk. He injured me. If someone had been there to tell me, you need to come to this class on impact, or you need to read this book about safety. I mean, it wasn't until after I met him that I read SM 101, <laughs> the Jay Wiseman book, you know, mm -hmm. I didn't know, who any of the other writers were or, or anything like that. So for the kink person who's by themselves that ha wants advice, they just really need to educate themselves. You know, that's the mm -hmm. best thing I can say, but it's not about finding that perfect person to take you on the tour. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't even realize that there's kink coaches out there that, you know, like every time I talk to a client about this, that it, it never occurs to them that they can hire a kink coach to really, you know, to, to actually meet them at a dungeon or something like that. Like sometimes it's online and just a conversation over coffee, but sometimes it's, 
meeting at a dungeon and having some skills taught to you. And, you know, it can be um, really a way for a couple that's been together for a long time to revitalize intimacy and connection and love. And it's and I don't think they think of it that way. And it's important to say that that doesn't mean that we're escorts. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause right. there's that blurry line. Right. Oh, so do you come with, do you do everything? No, I'm your coach. If you want to escort, I can give you some numbers of people I trust, but no, I'm here to teach you, to give you a safe space to learn from a friend who's a coach. And I don't want to sleep with you. I don't want you to ask me that. There's no sex on the table other than us discussing sex. You know, that's so right. important. Like right. my biggest fear when people find a coach online is I'm sorry, but nine times out of 10, like a certain type of coach will want to sleep with the client and think it's a sex uh-huh. surrogate situation. No, no, no. Give them a safe space to understand this stuff without feeling like there's a, a tab, <laughs> a physical tab, you know? Exactly. Right. That's so important. Mm-hmm. It's it's so important to feel like you have a safe space. And sometimes I wish that doms could be licensed like uh, therapists are licensed, you know? But then who's oh, in yes. charge of that? That scares me. <laughs> Who gets to say? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. I don't know if it's a good idea. Some of the well-known people like, would not be my first choice. And then there are some that are great, but I don't want them in charge of the curriculum on what that is, <laughs> you know? So that's hard. Yeah, that's yeah. hard. Great idea, though. <laughs> Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's it's interesting. So let's talk about when things don't go well, when there is a breakup, Mm -hmm. whether that's, you know, between people who are just kink partners or people who are in love, what kind of kink, you know, heartbreaks or breakups have you seen? Mm -hmm. And what have you learned from those things? Well, I'll speak for myself. I think that in whether it's kink or vanilla, breakups are hard and nobody, I mean, 99% of people don't handle breakups, right? We, whether the, the breaker or the breaky, we bolt, you know, and it would be nice mm-hmm. unless the person you're dealing with is not someone you can be around for safety or health reasons. There should be a nice exit interview, you know, and there should be a discussion But in my experiences, it's been abrupt and it's been painful and there's been little glitterings of of there being other people in the wings and, you know, things like that. So I feel like with a kink breakup, again, you you need a counselor, a coach, a therapist, you need support. You need to know that this kind of relationship might feel even more, you know, intense to lose than another one because of all the different role play and just the way that, that you've agreed to, to participate in this kind of fantasy dynamic, you know? So it's important mm-hmm. to bring you back to ground zero and to understand that at the base of everything, you're you, you're on your own, you're a normal vanilla person who's taken on this lifestyle. You know, I know people that don't even have their, they don't ever use their vanilla names that are in the mm-hmm. scene or in the community. I think it's important to get back to your, my name is Brooke. My name is Brooke. I am Brooke. I was born Brooke. Hudsy is something I created like Dwayne Johnson and The Rock. And I need to remember who Brooke is so that when these breakups happen or these, you know, I get let down that I come back to Brooke. Who is Brooke? Why is she here? And everything else is extra, you know, because with kink and all this, we, we still need to know who we are. I think it's important to write like a little essay to yourself about who you are before kink and then why you want to bring kink in. So many people replace mm-hmm. the vanilla self with the kink self. Yeah. And then who are you? Who are you at the end yeah. of the day? Who are you when you go into the coffin? Who is that? 
Are you going to be in your latex? (laughs) You know, know, with your fake eyelashes on? What you're saying right now from a psychotherapist lens is like 110% so important. If Mm -hmm. I could put it in neon lights on a billboard, I would, because I work with clients that are subs when they have that breakup, like it's almost like their identity and their sense of self goes with that breakup. They don't just lose the partner. They don't know who they are. Sometimes they've done like say slave positions or similar to yoga positions. So now they can't do some of their self care because it reminds the yoga class reminds them of the things they did with the Dom. Like it runs so, so Mm -hmm. deep and it's so hard to pull them out of it. Yeah. It's not just grieving the loss of the Dom. It's like, deconditioning what's been kind of conditioned into them, like the yoga, you know, the positions, and then also helping them find their sense of self. So and then sometimes if they've broken up with a dom that later on, they're like, that wasn't BDSM, it was actually abuse. I thought it was BDSM because they told me it was and I didn't know about BDSM that much. But now I'm realizing it's abuse. So now I'm doing EMDR. So sometimes with a sub, it's like, five different things that I'm trying to do. That's why the sub as a vanilla person needs their own rituals that they already have. So they're not looking to the top or the dom to define what their day should be. You know, it's okay to have that dynamic and that check-in, but you have to be able to be alone with yourself. Mm -hmm. I often advise people that when they are getting into kink to look at it as if we have one foot each in a different dimension. You know, we have our kink selves where we're submissive or whatever we are, you know, dominant, and that's who we are. And that's what we embody. And in our kink scenes and our kink dynamics, we put that self forward, but that other self and that other dimension is always there. And that's us at our core, the ones who are, you know, have full autonomy, the ones that negotiate for our consent and can speak (laughs) up for ourselves when something's wrong, you know, and it's like that other self is always there in the background. And sometimes we have to push that vanilla self back forward and our kink self is in the background. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if we look at it, it's like, we're not changing as a person when we get into our kink thing we're just putting a different part of our self center stage mm-hmm. and putting the other back in the wings watching and always still conscious and present it's like yeah. Halloween. so important <laughs> mm-hmm. it's funny when i first opened my practice and i was at a convention and, and i happened to start chatting with a psychotherapist who is gay and specialized in the gay kink community. And he was saying the most important thing in his work with submissives is to just teach them assertiveness. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of them don't have a voice. And, you know, the, noticing the difference between the relationship dynamics with your dom and, and the submission, that that doesn't have to mean that you still can't assert yourself when need be. Yeah. I mean, you know? and, and it's tough because I know from experience and and dear friends of mine doing the same thing where we just fall into that, oh, please just take over my life for me. And then when they leave, it's like, oh my God, I I don't know what to do. You know? Mm -hmm. And if anything, I think it's maybe changed a little bit now, especially with all the 50 shades stuff and everything that's become so mainstream, but it's still a painful experience, you know, and it's important to be with yourself and to know that no one person can be in charge of you. Not like, not in real life, it's it's role play. It's a moment in time, and you you agree to continue, you know. But nothing mm-hmm. is certain. What are some things that have helped you heal when you've been in a dom sub relationship, as in the sub position? I mean, lately, mm-hmm. because you're so much different than you were when you were younger. I'm yeah. just wondering, in the last, I don't know, 
however, like the last 10 years or something like that, rather than when you were super young. 10 years ago, I was like a name in the scene and on television because Fifty Shades had hit and, and I hit at the same time. So it's timing is everything. So I had my little moment in the sun, but it's not something I'd want to do now. Like my days of wearing stilettos are over, <laughs> you know, now it's like yeah. tennis shoes and, you know, meditation. And if I go to a kink club, rarely... I enjoy meeting the people because they're open-minded and very much like me, but it's not what it was. I'm very chill now, you know, and, and mm-hmm. yeah. when you've done it all like that, I mean, Sunny, you can relate, you kind of, you kind of burn out and you just want to step back and watch all the young kids come up and do it, do the same things. And, oh yeah, I remember doing that. I can I relate too. Yeah. There was- I can relate too. It's mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm both of us. I'm, I'm way more spiritual. I'm way more into just wanting to have a spiritual journey and travel and all that and have deep connected relationships than doing all this crazy stuff. Is mm-hmm. yeah, I still identify as kinky and non-monogamous, but just kind of like light. But also you know? like getting being willing to to step away. Like I had a TV show recently that I had to give the role to someone else, and I was there's a moment where I went oh, and I went no, pass the torch. This, there's a reason this is happening. This is you're giving a gift to someone else, and you're ex, you're accepting that that moment's over, you know. And that's that's a sign of a good dom, honestly, to be able to go, okay, I'm not attached to the outcome of this, and it's not about me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's a testament to getting to the point of integrating kink into your own life in a way that it really matters where we can say, you know, it's not the latex dress or the high heels that make me a dom or, you know, whatever it is. It's up here all in my head. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, some of the stuff is is for fun, is for show. Some of it we look back and we're like, oh, maybe that really didn't have a lot of substance under the surface. It was more performative and I thought it had substance. Yeah. So I just think, you know, we've aged like a kinky fine wine and, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Oh, we deeply. know what's important to yeah. us. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah>. Exactly. <laughs> Let's see. I'm wondering, you know, just we've talked a lot about kink and love, but what would you want our listeners to know about kink and love? And if there's anything else that you would like to add regarding what is a healthy kinky love? Well, I think with kink and love, first thing is friendship, right? So if you're out in the community, you're new and you meet people, don't feel like you have to sleep with them or go into their bedroom. Like there's nothing wrong with taking time getting to know people. I feel like when people get into the scene, they feel like they have to go fast or they might lose a good thing. It's like, no, a good person will be patient. If they're not, then they're just an addict and they're out for the score. And that's not going to benefit you in the long run. You're going to get burned no matter Mm -hmm. what choice you make as hard as you think it through. But you got to take care of you. You need to educate yourself. You know, kinky love, it can be online, it can be in a club, it can be just with you. Like, how about loving ourselves, you know, and like doing the research, doing some self-love, being with yourself, especially between these kink relationships, where we do feel the trauma Mm -hmm. a lot deeper because it's a bigger loss because of that role play and those rituals that we came to count on that now they're gone. You know, I think Mm -hmm. too, creating the rituals for yourself when you're not with a partner that you create would be very helpful. And one of the things like I tell my couples that I coach is I learned this from other doms is they should have a shared journal and they pass it back and forth, you know, and that'd be Mm -hmm. a good way of communicating whether they're writing a monologue to themselves or to each other, 
staying in contact in that way is very helpful. We're on our, mm. we're on our equipment so much, our devices, it's not good. You know, it's yeah. better to go yeah. back to the old school way of doing things, you know, have a phone conversation, mm-hmm. yeah, write each other a love right. letter, you know, but doing that for yourself, I journal as much as I can just to kind of remember mm-hmm. where I'm at. And my entries have completely changed flavor since I got right yeah. with myself, you know, just to insert a, just a short caveat to the listeners. Like if you're, you know, like at a phase where you're doing, going to all the parties and having group sex and and doing a whole bunch of kinky stuff, and it's all fast and furious, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, you're an addict. It might just, I mean, I think probably all three of us have had phases in our life like that to, mm-hmm. you know, I've it's like, a dog pile you know, <laughs> oh, look, yeah. oh, look, there's an elbow I can suck on, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. But what's your, you mean your question about how to not shame yourself? Oh, I was just saying that just because, you know, like sometimes people, like especially someone who's more vanilla, as soon as somebody is going fast and furious in the kink world or the non monogamous world, they have a tendency to use the word addict, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just yeah. really, I'm not a huge fan of that word, but I tend to use the word sexual compulsive mm. instead. And mm-hmm. this is my idea of a sexual compulsive and everybody has their own opinion. Like for instance, if you're that person that can pull up to the red light and look across the way and somebody blinks at you and now you're banging in the hotel room and at the time it's great, but the next morning you're in a shame spiral and you're like, I just broke all my relationships with my partner and I feel like shit about myself. And that person could be a serial killer. Like when you're doing that kind of behavior where the next day you are hating life and hating yourself and there's that disconnect, you know, and it's not serving you. That's when I'm like, there might be something sexual, sexually compulsive going on. And it's usually mm-hmm. a symptom of something bigger, like major mm-hmm. attachment injuries or depression or anxiety or bipolar that's not medicated things like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, and again, I say a good therapist <laughs> is who you should call. Right. I mean, honestly, yeah. it's, it's important yeah. to have, to have someone and, and someone like you, Kate, who's kink friendly is very beneficial, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah thank you. you know, along the lines of what you were talking about, about, you know, putting yourself first and having those rituals with yourself for listeners, there's something in the kink community and different people have different views on it. Some people are like, that's not a thing. I personally love it, which is self collaring. You know, a lot of folks who maybe they don't have a partner or maybe they are working on, you know, not being so much of an overgiver Mm -hmm. and losing themselves Mm -hmm. to have that commitment to themselves. And I know some people make fun of it like, well, didn't Dennis Rodman marry himself? That's so ridiculous. (laughs) But there's also a lot of stock in that of, you know, putting yourself first and making that commitment to yourself. So for any listeners listening, if they're like, huh, that resonates with me, do some Googling about Uh, self-collaring. I like that idea. I haven't heard of that, but it makes sense. Here's my two cents on that. Like, yeah, if you go to the club, some of the older lifestylers will think you're a sub who's available but then also I like the idea of if I was wearing a collar looking for a dom I have the key and one day I'll give the key to the right partner that earns it mm-hmm. so I love the beauty and the poetry of that I think mm-hmm. the people my age and older might be oh they're available they're sub <laughs> you know but then right it's to each their own and and I the beholder so I think as generations get older and new generations come in things are redefined and, and rewritten So it's Mm -hmm. important to say, again, for people who might be watching this that are seasoned lifestylers, that it's always really good to 
see what's happening in your community because things are constantly changing, you know? Exactly. It's not the symbol too. It's the commitment. So it's Mm -hmm. like maybe your self-collaring is a commitment to yourself or maybe it's just a necklace or a ring or a bracelet Mm -hmm. that when you look at it, that's your reminder of your commitment to yourself like a BDSM collar would be. So I love it. Uh, naysayers. Eh, it's a because. Bit, I mean, because change <laughs> change is important. We can't stick to the same old rules. We just have to make sure we know the old rules because we need to respect mm-hmm. in all sectors of life, like where something came from, you know, so it's important mm-hmm. to read those old yeah. books that might read outdated, but they're necessary. They got us to the point we are. So understanding what exactly. a caller really means from the origin and then redefining that for yourself, I think is very powerful and healing. Yes. So Hudson, I'm just kind of wondering, well, first I'll, I'll just put it in the preface of me being a psychotherapist, like sometimes with my clients, um, you know, I always keep professional boundaries and all of that. And I'm, I'm not talking about being in love, but sometimes I end up having a lot of love for my clients, you know, like in the way that a professional might have, you know, really come to care about their clients. And I was just wondering if you've ever experienced that and and what that's been like for you. Yeah. So this is interesting. There's two, but there's time to tell you two. I had a male sub, but he was lifestyle relationship. And then I had, while I was learning how to be with him as a dom, I was also a switch at a dungeon where I got to practice topping. And I had a handful of men one in particular that, that I saw for many years, it was amazing. He would come in with his bag of clothing and makeup and we would spend the hour getting him all dolled up and I would dress him and I would make him the object and you would just see him glow. And I never knew that I could be so turned on by cross-dressing or sissifying a man, but what it did for me and what gave me great love for him professionally, of course, we never saw each other outside, but it was so beautiful to see him glow by just my enabling what he wanted and supporting what he wanted for that hour. He's a straight man who just wanted to be a woman for an hour, you know, and then to feel me grow as a service top, as a dom, where it turned me on so much. And I'm not interested in being involved with a man when he's cross-dressed. That wasn't my goal, but for some reason it was so hot to me and I figured it out. It was because he was allowing a mirror image back to me of my power and my giving him his power of being able to choose that femininity. And so we were giving each other this validation, but it was also giving each other power of our role in the dynamic. So he showed me that I could be this powerful being that could lead a scene and lift up something that I never even thought I would find attractive or a turn on, you know? And then on the flip of that, I had a young woman come to me who was gay and she loved older women. And she lo- at the time I was a redhead, she loved redheads, but what she wanted was to kind of get herself ready to date. And she needed that confidence around being around a woman. She, I believe she was a virgin at the time. So she needed practice being around the kind of woman she was attracted to, but a woman who could be like that mother role play. So, mm-hmm. and then how she would release her energy was by impact play. So Mm -hmm. I was this mommy, loving mommy nurturer who looked like her ideal physical woman. And yet we were, you know, hitting her with, with toys and she was able to get out all those emotions she wasn't allowed to in her history. And now she's thriving and out in the dating scene. And I think she has a partner, but she became like my daughter, you know, and we ended up stopping professional and just became friends. And, you know, just, Mm -hmm. we would go for coffee and, and I, she was complete. She moved on to other forms of coaching 
And we just, I keep in touch with her, but it really felt good to help her get to that point, you know, where she could practice the kind of dynamics and healing that she wanted with a woman and then take it into real life. So that was someone who I grew to love personally. And, you know, we keep in touch. Our moment, our time expired. You know, she got everything. I didn't feel right continuing. I couldn't further it for her. She was ready. It was like letting the bird out of the the nest and telling them to fly Mm -hmm. in the woods. You know, you need to go now and spread your wings, you know, and that's important to know when that journey is over with the client. Not so much for therapy, but I think with kink, it can, you can definitely need to release them into the wild. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, there's a time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What is the thing that you like the absolute best about coaching people to, you know, find that love, to find that eroticism and intimacy through kink? How does that fill your cup? Uh, I love coaching a couple where they've been together a bit. Maybe it's a year, maybe it's 10 years, whatever it is. They're used to each other. We all fall into that thing after the first three months flush where we're like, oh, it's you again. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we made our choice and there's, there's benefits rather than negatives. So I'm going to stay with this person. But we need to refresh so we don't have to turn to new re- relationship energy if that's not what we're into. How do we refresh our relationship? Oh my God, bringing in kink and BDSM to a couple that's never done it. Or maybe they've spanked each other when drunk and that's it. You know, like bringing that to them, showing them all of the safety training first, and then helping them create a scene with the kinks that they like, doing the checklist, go, and then creating a scene from start to finish and deciding who's what role, or maybe they switch. But giving them that new way of looking at each other is so rewarding to me. It makes me so happy to be able to take my 10 years of training and give it to this relationship and watch them see each other in a whole new way, like different, like strangers in the night, like, Ooh, who are you? Oh, you did that. Oh my God. I'm in love with you again. You know, that's Uh what I love about it. I don't care how skilled they get at it. I just want them to, to fall in love again. And unfortunately we're human and we, it's hard to sustain. So we need those outside things. And if it's not going to be other people, which some people prefer, it's going to be that thing that makes them interesting again. And that's why the toys and the emotional role play and all of that is so amazing. And that's why, that's what I just want to do to when I'm old and gray and I can't lift my hands anymore. I just want to help couples and singles learn how to do this stuff and keep their relationships thriving and interesting. I mean, there's so many choices. It's limitless, Mm -hmm. you know? A little quick secret is that when I first met you, you're going to tell that my boyfriend Yeah, my boyfriend and I at the time hired you. And you know, and you did that for us. Didn't we have a a coffee first? Didn't we have our little coffee? Yeah, I think we had coffee. (laughs) I think it was pretty new in the relationship. We, you know, we later became best friends. Mm -hmm. Um, But Mm -hmm. that was that was such a fun. Yeah. You know, it was like an hour, but it was just like so much fun. And I learned so much. And it was everything you just said. And it helps too. like couples will go to pro doms at dungeons and it kind of, it helps them get outside of how they overthink each other. If there's that third party, they're just kind of navigating. And whenever couples come to me or people come to me that I'm not right for, I really, really think about, okay, who do I know that I trust that isn't going to like femdom them to death or, you know, you know, just do their thing. What I call they, they rule out their menu and they do their tricks, you know, like it needs to be someone who's thoughtful and because these people, they're vulnerable and I want them to enjoy it. I don't, it's not that I'm recruiting to get like my free everywhere or anything, but I want people to stick with it because I think it's really therapeutic and valuable, you know? So if I'm not available and I'm not the, or I'm not the right person for them, I really do think about it 
because I want it to benefit them and and be positive, you know? Yes. My heart, my heart, all of like, it's just, oh, kink has so many amazing possibilities for folks. I wish I like, I want to go out and evangelize. Maybe we kind of are. I don't know. Um, (laughs) But this has been great. This has been wonderful. And you know, what you've said, I think, can really shed a light on the possibilities for so many folks who have, you know, maybe just kind of considered it or maybe not really considered it, but now, you know, huh. So thank you so, so much. Thank you both. Yes. Appreciate your vulnerability (laughs) and listeners. I know you got a lot out of this too, and there will be more. Join us next time when we once again dare to open deeply. Thank you for listening. Find us online at opendeeplypodcast.com and on social media at Kate Marie or at Sunny Megatron. Check back bi-weekly for new episodes. And until next time, remember, your authentic truth is only found when you dare to open deeply. Intro and outro voice by the queen goddess, Frenchie Davis. Intro and outro music by the Baltimore Bull, Rob Burrell.